attitude to music ministry this morning and their willingness to address. I certainly want to thank Brother Arvell for playing the piano for us this morning. And Brother Matt Coates is playing the drums. Brother Drew Williams is playing the bass guitar. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. Thank you, Zit Choir, for your inspiration this morning. We certainly, certainly do appreciate that. Amen. Well, I won't be before you long because I don't know. I got this allergy thing working in my head, and it's draining in my throat. I've asked it to go in another direction, but it's not being cooperative, so... Uh, I need to get through this as quick as possible. Would you join me in 1 Samuel chapter 22? 1 Samuel chapter 22. And I just want to read those first five verses pretty quickly here as we stand together in honor of the reading of God's word. 1 Samuel chapter 22. And beginning at verse 1. I will read from the... New International Version this morning, this afternoon, rather, as we lift up this text. 1 Samuel 22. David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Abdullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their leader. About 400 men were with him. From there, David went to Mizpah in Moab and said to the king of Moab, would you let my father and mother come and stay with you until I learn what God will do for me? So he left them with the king of Moab and they stayed with him as long as David was in the stronghold. But the prophet Gad said to David, do not stay in the stronghold. Go into the land of Judah. So David left and went to the forest of Hereth. Amen. You may be seated. This story is one that perhaps I believe resonates with most of us as we understand the analogy of the cave, which arguably represents diverse meanings in the text, but also we will find our own application of what the cave means to us. And so I've entitled this message, part one, turning caves into cathedrals, turning caves into cathedrals. This is the first part. Next Sunday, Lord willing, we'll try to finish it. But the cave is often described in the text in several different means. In the Old Testament, the cave is recognized as a place of burial. Genesis 23 tells us that Abraham purchased a cave that he might bury his wife Sarah, and he himself will eventually be embalmed there and laid to rest along with his son Isaac and his son Jacob. 
We also learn from, from Joshua chapter 10 that there were five Canaanite caves who were running from Joshua because they realized that had he caught up with them, they would be slain. And so they sought refuge, the second meaning of the cave, in the place called the cave of Makeda, in which there they had hoped to find themselves protected away from the possible onslaught of Joshua's sword. But then there is the place where the cave is sometimes recognized as a place of worship. And that is where we find the context for David's existence in this text. As if you would refer to chapter 20 and 21, you'll come to know that David is running again from Saul, which he has repeatedly done. And he has informed Saul's son, his best friend, Jonathan, that his father has a grudge against him and why he does not know. And Jonathan tries to reassure David that his father is not out to get him. And David, in return, lets Jonathan know that he has a misconception of his father's behavior. And he tells Jonathan that I can guarantee you that your father, if he finds out that I am not here, he will find a way to track me down and try to kill me again. And make a long story short, that is exactly what Jonathan found out. In fact, Jonathan discovered that Saul's anger was so hyphened against David that when he mentioned to Saul that David would not be there for dinner, Saul actually threw his spear at his son Jonathan to assure Jonathan in his mind that I am not playing, I do not want to see David alive. He got angry at Jonathan because Jonathan would not reveal exactly where David was, although he told him that David had went back to Bethlehem to celebrate a celebration that was honored by the family. But in reality, David really just hid in the woods to show Jonathan just how angry his father was. And David left Jonathan's presence and had the nerve to go to the city of Gath there in Philistine territory and to beg for bread only to have the priest Abimelech give him bread but to discover that he came alone and Abimelech thought that something was odd about David being the warrior, the king of Israel traveling all by himself and David lied and said I'm on a mission for Saul and Saul has sent me where I am so that I can take care of business and my army is not here with me they will meet me wherever my destination is only to discover that when Abimelech noticed that something was wrong with that picture he began to spread the word and David had to get out of town quickly but before he left, he says, I don't have a weapon. And Abimelech says, we only have one weapon available, and that is the sword that you use to kill Goliath. And David takes the sword, and David says, this is the best uh, that I can possibly have, so I'll take it and be with me. And chapter 21 says, he moves from Gath, and he comes to the territory of the king Asheth, and Achish recognized, along with his others, why is he here? In fact, David knew that once they discovered that he was a, 
a Hebrew in Philistine territory, says chapter 21, David act like he was deranged and started scribbling on the wall with his fingertips and allowed saliva to run down his beard until the king asked his servants, why did you bring me this crazy man as if I don't have enough crazy people in town already? And they pushed David out of town. And chapter 22 in verse 1 says, So David found refuge in a cave in Abdullam. Abdullam, interestingly, the name means people's justice. Maybe David thought that if he could just get away to his own isolated space, that he could find some justification as to why Saul was hot in his pursuit. The story reminds me of Plato's allegory of the cave in which Plato says that he paints this picture about a cave being a dark place where prisoners have been chained both neck and hand and feet and they are chained with restricted mobility. And behind them is a blaze of fire. And before them is a brick wall that separates them from the reality and the cave. The cave is where they are and reality is beyond that wall. But to their illusion, they believe they see reality as the person standing behind them with the fire is dangling before them puppets and they see the movement on the wall causing that to believe that that is their real reality in that cave with restricted movement. And Plato says that the only way they can find out where the real movement is is to somehow get released from the cave, from the prison, and be able to go over the wall and see reality. And once a prisoner is freed from reality and they go over the wall, they realize this is the real world and they try to come back and release those who are still in prison. But those who are in prison argue among themselves that the free prisoner is trying nothing more than to destroy them because he's trying to make them see as if their world is not the real world. And when the reality is not, but they can't see it because all they've been restricted to is the cave. And so the free prisoner tries to bring them out. Instead, they form together to kill him lest he sets them free. Because they've allowed the cave to become their space of reality. It's analogous to us where we have been through the valley of the shadow of death. And we've allowed ourselves to allow that cave to become what we believe to be the real world that we have been sentenced to to live. And all because we have walked through a very tough time and now we find ourselves locked in a particular cave, we really believe that we can't get out, but that there's an imaginary wall that keeps us from getting to our freedom. And someone else who has been in a cave has finally got out of the cave and has now come back to help get us out of the cave. We don't believe them because we have come to believe that the cave is all the reality we're going to see. And as a result of that, the cave no longer becomes a space of mere learning, but it becomes now a space of permanent residence. 
David is here. In fact, if you read the story closely, it says that when David gets here, his entire family, verse 1 and 2, begin to come and see where he is. They get word that David is now in the cave of Abdullam. They find him, but look who also joins David. His context is the cave. But now he creates companionship and a congregation by those who are, A, his family, but says the text, B, who are in distress. Misery loves company. Not only in distress, but those who are in debt and those who are discontented. In other words, David has gathered around him others who now have bought into this cave mentality that is so bad that they too want to join where David is. No doubt they are angry at Saul. They are frustrated about how society now is going. They have jumped on David's bandwagon with a conviction that somehow, David, if you desire to overthrow Saul, we are here to fight the battle with you. And evil will always work with you as long as evil is getting an advantage in the working. If you read the Gospels, you'll notice that although the Pharisees and the Sadducees were opposite of each other, but when it came time to arresting and putting Jesus to death, read the Gospels, they joined forces that they might achieve a goal that they have in common. And people who don't even like you, who don't even want to see you succeed in life, who could care less about you, if you're going in the direction that they desire to go, even though they don't like you, they will jump on your bandwagon to help them get their own gratification about getting to where they desire to go. That's the reason why even in the cave, you have to be careful about who surrounds you in the cave. Because the companionship that assumes to be companions to you will actually only become an infectious virus that may kill you in the cave. But here is the story. David is surrounded by his close friends, 400 of them, who amazingly were David's own personal army. You read chapter 24 and 25, and they will grow to be 700 people. But in this story, this cave context is interesting to me, says the text, but David goes to Moab, his great-grandmother's home, Ruth, and asked the king of Moab, I got a favor I need for you to do. My father and my mother need protection because I don't want them to suffer from what Saul is trying to do to me. Can you let them stay here? And here's all I came to tell you. This one verse right here in verse 3. Can you let them stay here until I learn what God is going to do for me? That may not seem like much to you, but to David, who is on the run, whose life hangs in the balances. In fact, he tells Jonathan back in chapter 20 in the last portion of verse 3, he says that this thing is so bad that I am only one step between myself and death. 
Saul is just that close, but more importantly, I keep running to the point where my patience is running out. And he says to Jonathan, I can't take much more of what your father is doing to me. He raises that question to Jonathan, why does your father hate me so? You may not think that you've got a cave experience, but when you are in that space where you can't figure out why people have issues with you, you are in that space where people have an anger against you and all you've tried to done is be helpful unto them, try to help them provide ways to make life more easier for them. When you are in a space where you're trying to figure out why is people against you when all you're trying to do is help them succeed at what they are doing, yet they are talking about you, they are reducing you, they're trying to stab you in your back, and at the same time they are smiling smiling in your face and then they have the nerve to be willing to come see you when you are ill in your cave I mean there's nothing more than you know don't like you gonna come by and see I just wanted to come by and have prayer with you to see how you doing that is the worst somebody you want. In fact, as soon as they come through the door, your mind says, oh, Lord, I just cannot believe that this, this is only for real people, not saved, not y'all saved, sanctified. For. I'm, I'm trying to talk to the real people who really think like that. Why are they coming to see me when I know that when they, as soon as they leave out of that door, they're going to say, I just went by because it was a Christian thing to do, and I don't want them to think that I'm not a Christian, although I really don't like them, but at the same time I'm just gonna do the Lord's work anyway that's actually who gathered around David and David says I, I, I know how I feel to be in a cave and you're kind of trying to figure out why am I here in fact here I am representing God why does God let me end up in a cave but the cave can be an interesting place. And it's interesting in this text because when David says, I want to see what God is going to do for me, that's an indication to me that David is in a holding pattern. He's praying about it, but he's not seeing anything happen. He, he is almost like those in Plato's allegory about the cave he's chained in a space he can only see illusionary movement because he can't seem to see over the wall because he's trapped in his own cave and sometimes we are trapped in our own cave that no one has relegated us to we've just put ourselves in there all by ourselves and David says I I'm trying to figure this thing out. I, I want to know, what is God going to do in the midst of Saul's pursuit of my life? I'm not as holy as some of you think, but there are times when I get mad, I get disgusted, I get frustrated. I'm saying, now God, here I am doing X, Y, Z. I want to know when you're going to deal with my enemy. I know y'all don't have that kind of feeling, but... But for those of us who are working out our soul's salvation with fear and trembling, uh, I I'm asking God, what's taking you so long? If, if I got 
Goliath's sword in my hand. I'm about to slay me some more Goliath if you don't come around and show up because I'm about tired of being talked about and lied on and I'm about tired of people putting me through the ringer and I'm trying to wait and see what you gonna do for me. And some of you are in the same boat. You still praying, Lord, what you gonna do while I'm in this cave predicament? I wanna get out, but I wanna get out if you gonna leave me out. But in the meantime, I've been in this cave for a long time and I just want some peace I just want some freedom and notice what the text says it says while David and it doesn't give us a time frame which is so interesting no time frame it says while David is there waiting in Moab an unusually unknown prophet shows up by the name of Gad and says to David I'm on a mission for God, and here's my message for you. God has a strange way of bringing messengers. Uh, if he would bring me someone I already know, I'm in pretty good shape. But when he sends somebody I don't even know, he sends someone who's not even popular, and yet they have a rima word for my context. And here he is, the prophet shows up and says, listen, David, you cannot stay in the stronghold. See, if you, if you watch the wording, it has shifted from a cave to a stronghold. So the cave is a large opening where you can at least go in and out. But a stronghold is a fortified context where you are now boxed in and you can't get out unless somebody lets you out. And the text is telling me that David has moved to a space where at least mentally he can't get out of the cave. He has locked himself into the cave by way of a stronghold and the prophet says, you can't stay here. You got to go back to Judah. Now that's a strange returning place about 30 miles from where David is right now. But if you understand what Judah means, you can hear the prophet trying to tell David inadvertently, it's time for you to shift this cave to a cathedral. Now I said, now wait a minute, now how's that so? Go back to Judah, the fourth son of Leah and Jacob. Judah means the place of praise. Wait a minute, but Saul is trying to kill me back in Judah. I know it. That's what the prophet says, I know. And God says, go back to your place of praise which is connected to your pain. Wait a minute, why would I wanna go back to where my pain is? If I'm going back to praise, then why would I wanna be there where pain is? I know that too. I thought you would ask that question, I'm glad you did. Because now the prophet says, when you go back there, the Bible says, David made his way to the forest of Hereth. He didn't quite get back to Judah. Let me tell you what happened. But because before he got back, he had an encounter with Yahweh. And the cave was transformed into his cathedral. And how do we know that? Because we get from this experience, David picks up his harp and begins to pin for us what we now call Psalm 34. And when we look at that, that is a psalm where apparently David has been in a dark 
moment, but listen to his response. Although I'm in the cave, I might as well turn it into a church service and not allow myself to die in darkness, but to let the cathedral become my place of deliverance. Watch this now, because David said in Psalm 34, I will bless the Lord at all times and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. Listen to what he says. I'm going to bless God at all times, even in the cave where it's darkness that is meant to be a place of death. I'm going to shift it to a cathedral where I can experience deliverance because when I get into a dark space, all I got to do is just start thinking about how good God has been in the midst of all of my dark spaces. And David says, when I start thinking about how good God is, I will bless the Lord, not just in the cave moment, not just in the good moment, not just in the say-so moment, but I will bless the Lord at all times. And in my blessing of him, I will allow his praise to leave my mouth in other words he's saying I'm gonna celebrate him in the cave and I'm gonna celebrate him in the cathedral but I'm gonna let the cathedral be my place of deliverance and I'm gonna tell death not today because today I'm gonna live I'm gonna succeed I'm gonna prosper I'm gonna move forward in the cave it might be death but in the cathedral it's gonna be my time of deliverance I will bless the Lord says the text at all times and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul, says David, shall make boast of the Lord. Listen to what he said. My soul. Now, you know what? Here's something about when you allow your cave to shift to a cathedral. What is intended to be mere darkness turns out to lead you to your destiny. Here's what happens. When you start not allowing the dark moment to get the best of the moment, but you start putting to the forefront not the illusion of where you're going, but the reality of where you're going because faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Although I don't see the destiny in sight right now, I've got a commission from God that I'm on my way. And because I'm on my way, I'm not going to allow darkness to get the best of me. Instead, I'm going to allow the cathedral moment to transition me into my destiny. Now, here's what I said this morning. Here's what David is saying to us. Every now and then you have to have church all by yourself. Yeah, some people can only celebrate God, can only worship, can only testify if there's a choir there to lead them, if there's a preacher there to give them a sermon, if there's somebody there to give them a prayer. But David is saying every now and then you got to get alone even if it's in a cave and you got to have church all by your You make your own sermon up. You start getting with your own singing in your soul. You lift up your own prayer and when you start thinking about about the goodness of God and how he has brought you from point A to point B and how he's raised you from the sick bed and how he's made a way out of no way and how he's 
open some doors for you and how he keeps you from day to day and how he puts angels all around you and how he makes sure that you've never gone hungry in the daytime and how there's clothes always on your back and shoes on your feet and money in your pocket and when everybody else got a pink slip you still got a job to report to every day and there's still a roof over your head David said I don't need a choir I don't even need the preacher and I don't need nobody else's prayer because when I think about how good he's been to me and all that he's done for me my soul cries out hallelujah my soul makes boast of the Lord so much so that when I get to where I'm going I don't have a problem with telling people I'm going to bless God at all times and when someone tells me it don't take all that and I just look at them and say yeah it may not take all that to you but I know where I have just came from last week alone and I know how I have had to walk through the valley of the shadow of death and I know that it's been grace that's kept me safe thus far and grace will lead me on it may not take all that for you but as for me and my house we got to celebrate God every chance that we get so David said I'm going to bless the Lord at all times and he transitions his cave into a cathedral by not allowing the cave to drown him in his sorrow. But watch this. He says, my soul makes boast of the Lord. And look what he says. He says in verse 2 of Psalm 34, let the afflicted hear and rejoice. And he invites them, glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Back to Plato's allegory of Amen. The cave, listen to what Plato says. When the free man gets on the other side of the wall, he has to come back and try to help deliver his other friends who are on the inside of the cave, but they can't see it. You ever been blessed to the point where you try to help people get out of the situation that they're in and they ask you, how do you do it? And you point to the Lord and they said to themselves, no, nah, it, it's got to be more than that. It can't be just some God and, and just a few scriptures here and there and just praying about a few things. And, and you're saying to them, no, I'm telling you, it takes, yeah, me helping, me doing what I got to do, but I'm telling you, it takes the application of the word and believing that God says when his word goes out of my mouth, it cannot return void. It has a destiny that it's going to arrive in. No, no, it takes more than that. I'm telling you, it doesn't require any more just believing in the seeds that you throw in the soil of your heart and God will bring it to harvest. But some people can't see that. And you try to set them free from their cave and, and, and they don't want to see it. You try to shift them from the cave to the cathedral and they cannot see. And listen to what David says in verse 4. I sought the Lord. And David said, he delivered me. He answered me and delivered me from all of my fears. David says that when your cave becomes your cathedral, 
it becomes shouting ground because you then realize, wait a minute, Saul may be after me, but Saul can't get no closer than God will allow him to get. Saul can't do to me unless God permits it to take place. He says, when you're in the cave, that's defiance. You, you feel like the world is against you, but in the cathedral, that's a decision. And that's what I came to tell you. You might be in your cave context. You have got to make a decision with your words that I'm, I'm going to move from this cave to my cathedral. And I'm going to have church in this dark moment where God will pipe in light. And I no longer have to allow darkness to get the best of me. Listen to what he says. And then I'm done. He says, the illusions can become illumination. Because in the cave, it may be illusions. But in the cathedral, it's illuminations. And here's my closing point. It comes from a source that you would not expect. Now, that's why I always believe that truth is not relegated to a specific person or a specific forum. For truth can be known by anybody. But listen to this quote. He who has a why to live for can bear almost any how. Now that's deep. Let that, let that resonate in your soul for a moment. He who has a why to live for can bear almost any how. The cathedral tells me why I can't die in the cave. And the cathedral also tells me how I'm going to live in the cave. The cathedral says, church, though he is slaying you, yet you must trust him. The cathedral is telling me in the cave, Though weeping is occurring now in the night of the cave. But if you put your hands in his hands, the morning has got to come. And joy will illuminate itself in the morning. The cathedral is making it clear to me. Though your cave might be the moment of crucifixion. And trust me, you ain't getting to a resurrection Sunday morning until you walk through a Friday crucifixion. You can't hop from Thursday evening to Sunday morning, but, but you got to stop at Calvary and witness the atrocity of being wounded by your transgressors. You've got to experience some time in order to see that God really does raise you up when you have been knocked down. Remember, you can't get that until you've been knocked down. Everybody wants to be up all the time. Well, you're going to be up sometime, but you ain't going to be up all the time. You may be on top of the valley, I mean on top of the mountain sometime, but there has got to be a valley experience. Without it, we never appreciate how glorious it is when we are on top of the mountain. Not until you have been driven to the cave do you see the value of coming to the cathedral on Sunday morning. Yeah, I, watch this. You, you notice you miss church when you're not only not able to get to a church, 
But if the church has given meaning to your life, you miss church when church is absent. And when you get back to church, there is nothing reinvigorating about being in church in the sense of nothing can compare to it. It's like walking through those doors and you witness the glory of heaven opening up and you can sense the presence of God in that place where you now know you are in the space of cathedral. Go away from church for three or four weeks and come back. Man, you feel like a whole load has been lifted from your entire life. Why? Because in the house, you come to appreciate what church really means when church is not there. Mama, grandmama used to say, you don't miss your, well, your water until your well runs dry. And here it is. Here it is and I'm done. David goes back. And he gets to the edge of where Judah is. And he starts celebrating and puts together Psalm uh, 34 where he gives us first a song to sing and then secondly a sermon to hear. He gives us first a devotional nature of the psalm. Then he gives us a doctrinal nature of the song. David says, I, I wish I could just simply tell you there's a single message in this song. But David says every now and then you've got to allow God to transition your cave into church, your cave into a cathedral. And sometimes, and then I'm done, sometimes, says David, that's how God shows you what he will do for you when it looks dark in the cave and you wonder where is God. Here's what happened, then I'm done. I've heard testimonies of stories of people who, who have said that they've had to uh, had times when they could contact no one, everybody called, uh, they couldn't get an answer, so they had to have church all by themselves. And, and as one person, I remember telling me that, that they were just getting ready for work in the bathroom putting their makeup on and putting their hair together and all of a sudden they were looking at themselves and they saw the scar from the heart attack. And as they looked in the mirror, what was a scar <laughs> became a star. They looked at that scar in the mirror and saw illumination and they couldn't do anything but have church. And they started saying, Lord, I just thank you. Even though my body is wounded and there's a scar here, it's a star to remind you that I have been healed by the stripes of your back on a hill called Calvary. And she had church all by herself. Sometimes you got to do it all by yourself. And nobody else is in the room, just me and God. I, I, I knew I was on point this morning, so I, I, one member told me, you, you were on point when, when you talked about getting into the car and your favorite song comes on. And this member told me this morning after 8 o'clock service, you hit it on the head. Don't know if you were there or God gave it to you. But it was just last week. I was in the car and I just got happy all by myself. And the car started going every which way. And the policeman pulled me over. 
pulled me over and said, ma'am, uh, and when he, when he shined a light in my face, he could see the tears coming down my eyes. And, and, and he said, ma'am, are, are you all right? And she says, officer, I, I, I don't know what I was doing. I was just thanking God because I just finished celebrating my husband's death. And, and I, I'm just thinking about it. And yet I'm thinking about how good God has been to me and bringing me safe thus far. And, and I might have been going back and forth. And for the next 10 minutes, her and the officer had church on the side of the road all by themselves. I'm just trying to tell you, sometimes you got to do it all by yourself, transitioning your cave into a cathedral. And, and here was his benediction. Ma'am, I feel you, but, but do me a favor. Just, just calm down. Do you need an escort to get you to work so I can make sure you get there safely? But that's what God does for you. He will meet you in strange places. David went back to Judah. Got on the outskirts of Judah. And sometimes I, you don't get all the way to church. You didn't have church. You, you didn't get all the way there, but by the time you got there, shoot, I done had church in the car. I'm just waiting now to see what they're going to do up in worship because I done had my church service. And that's what I do on the way to church in the morning. That, that's why I kind of don't like nobody to ride me to church. Yeah, see, that's, that's my private time. Yeah, I like to ride by myself so in case I get happy, they don't think I've lost my mind. But I do. It could be a sermon, it could be a song, it, it could be just be a beat. I just get happy and I'm just grateful what could have been but was not. Do you understand what I'm saying? I, I, I know people that I grew up with who are gone and here I am still here. That, that's because in the words of John Newton, grace has brought me safe thus far. And it's grace that will lead me on. So David's cave transition to the cathedral gave birth to Psalm 34. But watch this. In your own cave, you're going to get your own song. And your own song. By that I mean God's going to lead you to a passage in here. He's going to lead you to a path that's going to become your testimony, your driving force. No matter what happens, your mind's going to run to that text, and it's going to be your inspiration to survive the cave. Because that's what cathedral lifestyle do for you. It transitions you from being dark into representing light. Because God is the kind of God who will do for you what needs to be done if you would stop resisting and allow that light to come on in. I, I like Plato's analogy, except Plato's analogy leaves us empty. Whereas David's story leaves me full. It leaves me full because David says, when I go back, watch this, you have to read further in chapter 22. Saul gets mad and kills the priest because the priest gave David some bread. Watch this now. Sometimes God will use your enemy to get you where you need to be. Even when you don't even know that he's using the enemy 
to get you where you need to be. That's the kind of God that he is. He works for the underdog. And that's what we are from time to time, underdog. See, that's, where, that's the reason why Saul was so angry at David. Here you are, a little boy doing a man's job. But, but Saul, you were a man who acted like a little boy. All you had to do was go down there. And even if you failed, if you had just attempted to fight the giant, instead you turn around and can it, can it. Don't, don't, don't hate the player, hate the game. I, I can't help it because God works with me and walks with me and, and works through me in the sense that I was willing to go down and, and stand against the giant and all I had was five smooth stones and a slingshot. I can't help it because the God that I serve know how to get into one stone and knock down everything and the giants that seems bigger than me, when I put it into God's hand, he knows how to reduce it down to the rubble that it really is and it ain't all that big. I, I can't help that. Don't hate me. Hate God. Saul couldn't stand it. Saul says, I'm going to kill him if it's the last thing I do. And you do know the end of Saul's story. He ends up killing himself because he couldn't grasp how would God use a boy and overlook me as the man. Well, he really didn't. Your problem, Saul, was you just didn't want to trust God in what he told you to do. He told you how to handle things, and you, you decided to consult the witch of Endor. You wanted to call up Samuel from the dead. And God said, that's it. That's enough. It's a done deal. And Saul became so afraid, he told his own son, uh, him to whatever his own servant, whatever you do, put that sword there so I can follow my own sword so it can be said that nobody took my life. Isn't that a sad commentary? But that's the end of the story, except David's story. Because <laughs> David didn't do anything but go up and up and up. And he's not just the king of Israel, but he's now the king of Israel and Judah, both Nations, he joins together. Why? Because that's how God is. He takes what's splintered in the world and puts it together for your own good. Romans 4.17, this is what David was really telling us. That's what Paul said. You call those things that be not as though they already are. That's all David was saying when he said, I will bless the Lord at all times. And his praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make boast of the Lord. And I call the weak and the afflicted, everyone to come and magnify the Lord with me. Let us worship and glorify his name. For the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. Turn your cave into a cathedral. Have church even if it's all by yourself. Lord, pray now that you would speak this morning to someone who 